Welcome to Theodora Speaks, a podcast series celebrating risk-taking women who have successfully failed forward on their journey to reinvent their professional lives and follow their dreams. Thank you for listening to my podcast. You have a lot of podcasts to choose from, and I'm elated and grateful that you're listening, as well as commenting on the stories shared. The theme of this conversation is HOPE, an acronym I came up with during the global pandemic crisis. H stands for heroines of our 2020 era, reinventing ourselves in search for more balance. O stands for optimism for our souls. P, perseverance to overcome our challenges. And E, empowerment to be our best selves. Just like the flappers did a century ago, coming out of the pandemic, they reinvented themselves in the workplace. My hope is that this conversation helps mold and paint a vision in color by modeling what the next generation of girls in STEM can be. If they see it, they can become it. In this episode, we converse with Shannon Wilkinson, CEO of Tago Cyber. A wife, mother, author, and CEO, Shannon exudes both confidence and inspiration when it comes to women and girls in STEM. I personally believe if we're gonna raise the next generation of STEM and STEAM girls, It starts at both the corporate and educational institutional levels on how we shine a spotlight on gender inclusion when it comes to diversity in the workplace. Sign up at gailkeller.org for more information. I asked Shanna to be a guest because not only did she write a book, but she is as intelligent as she is humble as she is strong. She is the true definition of career risk-taking and professional reinvention. Listen for when Shannon describes the difference between failing versus failure. As Billy Ocean would say, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Today, we will cover topics from risk-taking to reinvention to how to encourage the next generation of STEM girls. Shannon, you have an impressive portfolio of experience. You currently are the CEO of Tago Cyber, a public company founded in 2019, which is a cybersecurity company you and your husband co-founded based in Las Vegas, Nevada. You also are an award-winning business owner, having won a family-owned business award in the state of Nevada. You are an author of Ripping Off the Hoodie, Encouraging the Next Generation of STEM Girls. Welcome, Shannon, and thank you for being with us. Thanks for having me. Tell us more about the company and why you were called to the CEO position. Sure. So I kind of fell into the CEO role um, because when we were co-founding the company, Troy and I co-founded the company again um, after co-founding another cybersecurity company in 2015 that we sold to private equity. Um, Troy got a fantastic job as the head of global cybersecurity operations for Fortune 300. But I told him, after taking a couple months to decide what I wanted to be when I grew up, uh, <laughs> decided that I wanted to continue the entrepreneurial journey, but I needed his expertise in cybersecurity as well. So I asked him, will you help me co-found this company? I will go ahead and take the CEO role and be the public face of the company, but I, I also need your expertise. So kind of falling into that, um, being the public face of the company and CEO is way outside my comfort zone. Um, as a former software developer, I am the atypical software developer, you know, kind of the antisocial shy. Um, so it has been a big learning experience for me of getting out there and talking and 
you know, even self-promotion has been something that I haven't necessarily been good at before. And now as a CEO, I have to not only promote the company, but to some degree, you know, promote myself as well. That's lovely. So it sounds like you and your husband obviously married, but Mm -hmm. you also are very close in the workspace. Yes, I think this is probably the fourth or fifth time that we've worked together. You spend a lot of good quality time together. Yes, yeah, yeah, we did. Um, I used to be a food critic in Kosovo for a local English language newspaper. So I would have Troy and a big group of friends go out for dinners. Um, We snowboarded together. So we just spent a lot of time together as friends. And I think that was a really good foundation for our marriage as well, because, you know, not only are we husband and wife, but we're also the best of friends and in business as well. Well, speaking of spending a lot of quality time together, Shannon, picture yourself driving to Montana this coming summer to beat the Las Vegas heat with your family. The car is packed with video games, art supplies, your three sugar gliders, and your golf clubs. You look up and you see the following billboard. Grace, intelligence, beauty. Shannon Wilkinson. She is my inspiration. This billboard was created by your loving husband, Troy. When I asked Troy why those very words explained your true essence, in his own words, Shannon, he replied, the reason I chose these words for her billboard is that Shannon personifies grace, intelligence, and beauty. Her movements, thoughts, actions are always presented with effortless grace. She is humble and lets her actions speak for her, almost to a fault. Her accomplishments are too many to count, but talking with her, you would never know. She's the smartest person I know. Using a quiet methodology, she listens and studies, always improving and always encouraging others. Her beauty is not superficial, and her internal beauty shines through like the sun. Oh, (laughs) wow. That uh, just floored. Um, Troy has always been my biggest cheerleader, and I can't thank him enough for that. Um, You know, he's always encouraged me, um, even when I feel like I should give up, you know, he's always behind me, supporting me. You have to choose as a woman between career and family, and, you know, having Troy's support um, in my career has allowed me to be able to do both. So talking about your career history and technology, Shannon, You mentioned to me in a prior conversation how reinvention and prioritization are near and dear to you. Take us back to when you first started your career and the journey that led you to your current position as CEO. Yeah. So surprisingly, um, I never thought I was going to have a career in technology. Um, I've struggled with math ever since I was in fifth grade. Troy calls it nomlexia, but I have this habit of transposing numbers. So when I'm giving out telephone numbers or when I'm doing math, I I switch the numbers and then, you know, it's all wrong from there. Um, So I, in fifth grade, I think I started failing math and it just carried, the struggles carried on through my education. So um, when it came time to go to college, I actually enrolled in a criminal justice program at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. And um, I found out after about three semesters that I hated it. Um, I didn't like the courses. I wasn't doing well in the courses. And I I figured out that I needed to make a change. 
And as I was sitting in my job at the computer labs, as a technical support person for the computer labs at the dorms, I kind of had this aha moment of, you know what, I've always loved computers. I have a lot of technical skills. Maybe I should look at technology as a career, even though I have these immense struggles with mathematics, maybe I can still succeed. So mm -hmm. I actually enrolled, um, had a bunch of friends that I lived with in the dorms and we all enrolled in computer science. I really struggled with the mathematics and the science requirements for the degree. And then finally, um, I heard about this program in the business school, which was information systems management, which wasn't so heavy in mathematics and science, but gave a lot of the business foundations as well as the technical aspects. So I went to my friends and I'm like, listen, I, I, I can't handle the computer science anymore. I don't think I'm going to be able to get my degree in it. And they're like, oh, yeah, we switched to management information systems last week. So we all, all of us, this whole group of us at the university all switched over to information systems management. And that's what I got my degree in. Um, but I found that despite my struggles with mathematics, I'm a very logical person. And I think that's one of the reasons why I've been able to succeed in technology is just, I have this love and passion and being logical um, has helped me a lot in my career. So that kind of my transition or reinventing myself um, through my college times and then, of course, you know, I started off as a computer programmer for the United Nations. Mm -hmm. And I found, you know, I love programming um, and building software. But what I really felt that I would be interested more in, like, outlining what systems looked like and everything. So I moved out of development into managing software development teams. And then finally, you know, doing software architecture and, like, being responsible for planning out what a platform would look like and everything. And then in um, met Troy, started our family, um, and I was pregnant with our second daughter, um, and we were still in the peacekeeping mission, um, but we decided maybe peacekeeping missions were a great place to raise a young family, so we decided to come home to the U.S. And Troy and I worked for various technology companies here in Las Vegas, but um, in early 2015, we started talking about that there was this real lack of cybersecurity companies for small to medium businesses. So. Um, in 2015, we founded a company called Axiom Cyber Solutions that was all about providing services um, and cybersecurity services to small to medium businesses. And that was a big learning experience from going and being kind of an executive leadership um, managed by other people to actually being an executive leadership and managing your own company. And we learned a lot through that. And we did exit that company to private equity in mid-2019. And then... Um, some people that we had done business with and had talks with that were interested in purchasing Axiom came to us um, in the summer of 2019 and they said, you know, we really like your experience. Um, we'd like to work with you. What do you think about, you know, founding another company and we'll work with you. And what do you think about, um, you know, founding a public company and using the money that you can raise through your friends and family to fund the research and development. Because in our previous company, we spent a lot of time, probably the last year and a half, talking to angel investors, raising money and not being able to focus on product development. Um, whereas now I've been able to focus really about a year and a half on research and development of the company while others, um, especially our friends and families who I'm very thankful for in supporting our efforts, you know, we're able to invest and we're a public company. So we're able to give them shares and they have some almost immediate value for their investments. So 
Um, that's a little bit my transition, I think, in, in a probably crazy way of how I got from being a software developer into the role of CEO. Huh. Shannon, you'd say crazy. I'd say fascinating. <laughs> Because your traits build your character to be probably a phenomenal CEO in the background you have. I want to go back. You said you didn't think you'd be good at, you weren't good at math, so you didn't think you would be good in technology, and you're, you're proving a myth wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I failed calculus three times, um, and thankfully, I'm happy to say I've never used calculus in my job. <laughs> yeah, that's great, but you understand the math, you know, the fundamentals, fundamentals of math. Yes. Yeah. And I think, like I said, I think being logical and, you know, being able to put things in a logical manner has helped me. Um, but, you know, also you have to realize, I think, and I learned this lesson, I think, as a software developer in, you know, a lot of times when we're planning things out, um, what we think a business or a client needs isn't necessarily what they truly need. We have to take the time to listen to what they need and listen to their frustrations um, so that's one of the things that we do at Tego and pride ourselves in is listening, not thinking that we know everything about everybody's business, because we certainly don't, but taking the time to listen, to, to really find out what the shortcomings are and what the frustrations are and build solutions to that in our products. So Shannon, balancing life's priorities, what are your thoughts with respect to the over 2.5 million women who left the workforce in 2020 due to the pandemic crisis and working mothers feeling the polarization, not integration, between career and family. I've actually been in a place before where I did not find any balance between work and life. And it was when I was working for another company. Um, I had, our, we had just had our third daughter. Um, I had a newborn. I was working probably 80 to 90 hours a week. Um, Troy would probably tell you our marriage was suffering because I was prioritizing work. Um, and I, I had this feeling that, um, and I think it was also the management of the company encouraged this feeling of, if I don't answer this email at 10 o'clock at night, yeah, the world is going to come to an end. Um, and it, you know, the family suffered, my marriage suffered, and I was lucky in that Troy, you know, being my friend, was gracious enough to sit me down and be like, you know, hey, you're prioritizing the wrong thing. You know, the kids need you. I need you. I need my friend. I need my wife, my partner. And, you know, this, this company that you're working for is just sucking the life out of you. So, um, you know, and I had some eye-opening experiences. I was taking a shower one day and I had about 15 missed calls. Um, they called my parents' house, which I had given them the telephone number in case of emergencies. And they basically told me, we're doing a production release New Year's Eve and you have to be on. And so I spent New Year's Eve on the computer um, working for this company that evidently didn't value any of us employees um, and away from my family. And I think that was kind of in, in addition to the talks that I had with Troy about, you know, trying to prioritize the right things in life. You know, I think that was an eye-opening experience of, you know, they really think that this is an emergency that they're going to call my parents' house. I can't even take a shower without them blowing up my phone. You know, maybe this isn't the right place for me. Um, and just coming to the realization that, you know, I can have my family and I can have a career at the same time. 
Um, and I built that as well into Tago, into the company, as well as our previous company of, you know what, at five o'clock, you know, shut down the computers, um, go home to your family, spend quality time. Um, I even have to sometimes remind myself, you know, I might get back on the computer at nine o'clock after the kids go to bed or something like that and start typing out emails and start working. But um, setting the expectations of like, hey, if I send you an email at like 10 o'clock at night, I don't expect you to return my email until the workday. And even setting with the team now with Tago is we'll send emails on the weekend. And, you know, there's an expectation with Tago is, you know, if, if it's not urgent, um, I'll reply to it on Monday morning. Um, but if it's, if it is urgent, give me a call on my cell phone. And, you know, maybe if I have time, I'll, I'll answer your email. But, you know, don't, don't expect me, you know, to answer on the weekends because the weekends are reserved for family. So, um, and I think uh, switching gears from my personal experiences, I, I think, you know, there's this real fallacy in that people think that, you know, it's an either or situation for women in technology um, or st even STEM careers, you know. Um, where we have to choose between having a family and having a career. And I talk a little bit about it in my book, but really it's, it's not an either or situation. I, you know, I don't think we ever look at um, male software engineers and go, oh, we have a family. How do you do it? You know, whereas we do that to women, you know, and I, I've been lucky in, um, you know, I think Troy changed as many dirty diapers as I did with the girls and everything like that. So having a partner that understands and accepts that, you know, men and women are equal, not only in careers, but um, in, in, in the family space as well. You know, we, we share responsibilities. It's not, you know, it's not the 1950s where I'm, you know, Susie Housemaker and it's, he's expecting me to do everything. You know, we, we balance out the family and we balance out our careers as well. So share with us how you and Troy share that responsibility. Marriage is a lot of, you know, compromise and communication and just, you know, we share each other's schedules where I'll tell him like, you know, hey, I need to go do an interview or I need to have this meeting. And, you know, our kids are very active. They pay, play golf, they have play dates. So it's, um, you know, just communicating and coordinating our schedules so that we can share the responsibility. You're both working and especially for working moms, right? The mental load is real. It's heavy. We have to share it not only with our, our spouses, but in the workplace as well. And I also commend you as a CEO for instilling those values in your employees to take a break, to recharge. And their time is, their personal time is precious too. Right. Yeah. Because I think, you know, if we just spend all of our time focused on work and focused on career, you know, the chances that we'll burn out and just stop enjoying what we're doing is, is immense. I, so I think, you know, when I've mentored other people in technology, I've always told them, you know, look for hobbies outside of work, you know, look for things, you know, hiking and getting out or playing video games or something like that, that will, you know, take your mind off of work and, and give you just, I guess, like a little safe haven where, you know, the outside world and the, the problems of the world don't bother you. Right, right. Take a breath, let some creativity throw, flow through mm -hmm. you. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's wonderful. And you mentioned that we're not in the 1950s, but we're still kind of 
back in the times where it's women in STEM. Why can't I just be a STEM person, right? right. I think you and I are doing, we're trying to help our children and make the road a little bit easier, just like our moms did for us and our grandmothers. Mm-hmm right? Paving the way for the next generation. So we're, we're going in the right direction, but there's still a lot of work to be done. So right. Exactly. <laughs> to that point, Shannon, diversity. For me, it's not about men versus women as much as it is about inclusion, in particular gender inclusion of all races, to help tighten the gap and encourage more women to pursue, retain, and grow their STEM careers. So share with us, Shannon, how companies can do a better job of demonstrating diversity within their organizations. Yeah. Well, I, I do think it, it comes down to what you said. It's not just about diversity, but it's about inclusion. You know, we see the number of women um, within technology and cybersecurity is slowly starting to grow. Um, but you'll find that it's a lot of women in those lower levels, you know, the starting, the junior positions, the analyst positions, when you get up into executive management and even CEO roles, you know, you don't find a lot of women. So, um, and organizations need to realize that it's not just um, about the tagline about diversity and inclusion, but diversity inclusion, there's actually statistics that show that organizations that have more inclusion and diversity do better profitably. Mm -hmm. So there's a financial aspect to it. You know, you have all this, all this different input into the creative process and building your products and it just makes the products better. And then we find also, you know, the the whole idea of listening to your audience, listening to your clients, you know, uh, when, when you're building something, you know, having all that input, you know, who, who knows women better than women, other women. So when we're building products that are targeted for women, you need that input, you know, you can't just have, let's say men designing pantyhose or something like that for women. No, absolutely not. (laughs) That would be a little rough. And, you know, to, to retain women in STEM, we need to entice girls in STEM, right? If they see it, Mm -hmm. they can become it. So moving to the next topic of raising generation of STEM girls, Shannon, you wrote a fantastic book and I did read it. It's called Ripping Off the Hoodie, Encouraging the Next Generation of STEM Girls. Give us a brief overview of your book. So I've been speaking for quite some time about being a woman in technology or a woman in male-dominated industries. And I was speaking at a conference uh, just before the pandemic hit. um, And Troy looked at me and he's like, you've got all these stories and all these great ideas. Why don't you sit down and put them in a book so that you can really share it with a wider audience? So I actually sat down um, during the beginning of the pandemic and wrote Ripping Off the Hoodie, Encouraging the Next Generation of STEM Girls to to kind of go through my experiences as a woman in technology and my career and, you know, some of the things, even some of the stereotypes that I thought, you know, I can't have a career because I'm not good at math. And then, you know, things that I've seen as being the mother of three girls who are super into technology and, you know, having, having challenges in encouraging their interests because we don't, um, 
you know, we don't gear things in technology to girls when they're younger. You know, we're, we're still very much, you know, girls go play house and go play with Barbie and, and boys, you guys be asked, you know, NASA astronauts and doctors and adventurers uh-huh. and stuff like that. So even at an extremely young age, we're pushing girls and boys into these kind of gender stereotypes. And then when we get into middle school and high school and college education, you know, the lines just become even more defined and, you know, what's, you know, society thinks is acceptable for, you know, girls versus boys. And, you know, that creates the problem in, in, you know, being able to fill this ginormous, uh, you know, skills gap and just that we have so many vacant positions that are left unfilled because, you know, there's just not enough people um, increasing the amount of gender diversity within technology will help fill the skills gap. And that's one of the things that I tried to point out in the book as well. Of, you know, not, not only, you know, how we can get better in our stereotypical views and our societal views, but, you know, also what, what teachers and parents and um, us as mentors can do to help promote the next generation of girls in STEM um, to really help fill the skills gap and, and close some of that gap. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it starts at home, like mm-hmm. you mentioned, right? But then also mentorship. That is so important. And, and for us to give back to the younger generation as well is so important. What philanthropic Absolutely. work are you involved in? Um, I do everything from career days. Um, I am a advisory board member for NCWIT affiliate of Nevada, which is the national, I think, National Committee on Information Technology for Women. Um, and then um, we support a local robotics club um, from one of the schools that uh, has an all-girls team. Mm-hmm. Um, and just whatever I can do, mentoring um, young women in technology. Um, There's a fantastic program here, um, a federal program, and I just lost the name of it, (laughs) Um, that helps um, those who might not be able to afford to go to college, but it will help them get um, some certifications and start their careers in technology. So they're always looking for mentors from the local community. So I try to donate my time um, to that program as well. And just you know, making myself available, just having role models and mentors out there of, you know, anybody can be in technology. Yes, I wholeheartedly agree. And I work with women in tech, but I also will have a brand extension of of working with girls in STEM Mm -hmm. and STEAM, because it's just so important to instill that to your point at a young age. And the premises of your book is so great. And, you know, it starts at home, like I mentioned, but also the education. And mm-hmm. so I, I think hand in hand, universities, universities and corporations have to do better in terms of that gender inclusion. Right. And, and we do see, you know, we talk about like the 1950s, but, you know, we do see, see still that, you know, women in technology and, and women in STEM careers still do face um, harassment and discrimination in the workplace. And we, as organizations and as leaders and you know, we, we just have to do better and get rid of that kind of locker room talk and, and allowing that to happen and, you know, pushing women to reconsider their career choices and their educational choices and technology because they face that. 
Mm -hmm. um, I, I wrote a chapter of the book that was titled, It's Okay to Be a Girl, um, based on a conversation uh, with somebody I had mentored who went into um, a career in cybersecurity and just was made to feel like, you know, she had to cover up. She had to wear like, you know, baggy clothing and stuff like that because her male colleagues, you know, if she wore something that was, you know, made her look like the attractive young woman she is, you know, they made her feel bad about that. And we, we, we shouldn't allow that to happen. No, if we want to look feminine, we should look feminine and still be professional. Exactly. Uh, yeah, and our colleagues need to be as well. <laughs> That's correct. So in your opinion, how can women also have those traits and be seen in a positive light? Yeah, I wrote a chapter on that as well of, um, you know, all these leadership traits that we admire in men, you know, we get, we turn around and we apply those leadership traits to women and then all of a sudden they become bossy or the other B word. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's this kind of double standards in where we admire those traits of assertiveness and, you know, the go-getter attitude and stuff like that in men, but then women are punished for, you know, having those same kind of leadership traits that we admire um, so, you know, we just have to get better in applying those double standards and recognizing our own, um, I guess, biases and our unconscious bias as well when we look at that. Um, and, and there's also this idea of, too, of like women uplifting women of, you know, we have to support each other um, when we're in these kind of leadership roles and, you know, promoting women and encouraging women as well. So, um, you know, I think I, I found some interesting statistics about like women are harder on other women as well when they're in executive positions. And, you know, it's the, you know, oh, she's so bossy or something like that. But it's like, no, she's just, she's just got the same leadership traits as the male colleagues and we shouldn't punish her for those. So. Right. But nor should the subordinates be punished for trying to climb the ranks like they did. Right. And exactly. You have a chapter about this, like you mentioned in your book and mean girls can turn into mean professionals and mean bosses. And we need to start uplifting, like you mentioned, versus not doing that and saying, well, I worked hard to get here, so I'm not going to help you. You prove yourself. Well, yes, we all have to prove ourselves, but mentorship of how to raise the next generation of leaders is so important. Right, yeah, because, you know, we don't also, as women, want to get to the top and be the only woman as well. We want, you know, we want other women around us, surrounding us and supporting us as well. So it's encouraged yeah. that we do uplift and support. Yes, showing off their brains and their femininity. There's also this idea because STEM careers pay more, you know, it's a possibility. Like if we, if we encourage the next generation and we help those, it's a, it's a way to uplift people from poverty as well, because, you know, in giving scholarships and encouraging young people to go into these careers, you know, they might be the first one to get certifications or get a scholarship to the university and, and help their families along as well um, in, in uplifting, you know, out of their economic situation as well. So, um, you know, there's this whole idea, you know, not, not only are STEM careers kind of, you know, recession proof, but almost every single company now needs technology and needs somebody with technical skills. Um, even if you're not in a technology field or a technology industry, typically those organizations, especially large organizations, will have technical professionals working for them. So that's why I'm kind of passionate about saying STEAM over STEM because of the A. Yes. Yeah. And you mentioned also in your book, and this section really spoke personally to me, Shannon, that you did a 2019 study 
called Changing Career Trajectories of New Parents in STEM and found that a staggering 43% of women and 23% of men switched to a career outside of STEM or transitioned to part-time work or leave STEM altogether after the birth of their firstborn. Amazing. And what can the STEM industries, in your opinion, and corporations do together with respect to female retention and growth? Yeah, I think that ties in a lot to our conversation about this, this idea of the either or, either the family or the career, um, you know, and making women make that choice rather than, you know, being equal. <laughs> yeah. um, so I think as organizations, you know, and we find that's, that study finds that a lot of men also left STEM as well, because, you know, as technology companies, you know, like I said, I've been in the place, you know, 80, 90 hours a week. And just this, this idea that, you know, if you don't answer the emails, and if you're not available 24 by seven, you know, there's something wrong with you. I think as organizations, we have to be human. Mm -hmm. and understanding in that our employees have a life outside of the workplace and we have to be respectful of that as well and give them their time and space and, and recognize that you know if if we do need 24 by 7 operations then we need to plan for it we can't expect you know one single person to be available all the time Mm -hmm. um, so I think just as organizations, uh, you know, and management, we need to be respectful of family, family time or individual time. If they, they don't have a family, it's not just about family. It's about that work-life balance and giving people a break and being respectful and allowing people to have lives outside of the workplace. I think there's certain things that we can, you know, that employees can do as well um, within their organizations in pushing back and setting boundaries and saying, you know, no, I'm not going to be available this weekend because I do have something to do. I'm going out of town or I have something planned with my family or something like that. And, and kind of setting those boundaries and not letting the organization push the, those boundaries. Because um, in, in my previous experience, that's exactly what I, I did. I didn't stand up for myself. I didn't say no. I, I allowed to push and push and push until, you know, th there was, it, it was just work. It was nothing but work and, and the family suffered. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I experienced personally some of that as well. And so when I left my demanding job that I loved and a company that I loved, but it just wasn't being the needs with my family right now in this season. Mm -hmm. And since I've left, I've seen a positive change. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and this year has been kind of interesting too. And um, today's the last day of school. Woo. <laughs> but, um, you know, the kids have been doing virtual school um, this year. So both Troy and I working for the house and then the three girls on virtual schooling um, from home as well. It's been an interesting and challenging year, but I have to say it's been a ton of quality family time as well. Yeah, there's there is positives for the, yes. the sheltering in place yeah. and the pandemic, right? The more, the more family time for me, it was more mm -hmm. meals at home together as our family. Yes. Yeah. Doing meals at home or even, you know, just going out. So switching gears to wisdom and risk taking Shannon, what does taking a risk mean to you? Well, I taking risks of course means that you might you know, fail. Um, so, you know, there, there's this idea that you have to kind of balance out the risk. And um, also in taking risks, you know, if you do experience a failing, um, you know, dealing with that. Um, 
innovation does not happen without risk. So if we avoid risk altogether, we won't ever move forward or innovate. Um, but there's something that I like, it's called the crawl method, um, and it helps us kind of understand um, risk and failing as well. Um, that if, if we take a risk and then we have a failing, um, and I, I like to make the difference between failing and failure because failing is just like something temporary that we can overcome and failure basically means that we've quit um, and then we're not gonna move forward. Um, but the first thing with crawl um, that it tells us to do, like if we take a risk and then we fail is like, it takes some time to cool off. Um, take a deep breath and not, don't let our emotions, you know, rule our next decision-making process and, and, you know, not let our emotions rule what we do next. And then we take time to reflect, like we take a look, you know, and say, how, how does this affect my future? And we find, you know, that it might not have such a big impact on our future after we take that time to reflect. And then we assess, you know, what, what can we learn from this failing? And what can we learn to, you know, take that risk again, but not make the same mistake? And, you know, what can we do to prevent this failure from, um, you know, the next time? And then we remind ourselves why we're doing something. You know, why, why is this important? Why, why am I passionate about it? Why do I want to do this? Um, and what, what does success mean to me um, in, in taking this risk? And then finally, you know, we move on. We, we take that next, next risk and we leap. Um, and then we move on to success. You know, we have to rem remember that, you know, risk and success is, um, you know, it's a process. You, you, you risk, you try, you fail, you reinvent, you try again. And, and it's not, you know, it's not just a linear line that you get to, you know, you try and you succeed, but it's like the circular thing. You try, risk, uh, you know, um, fail, succeed kind of thing. So, um, you know, it's, it's a process, definitely. The process and we learn from our failures to help with the reinvention. Right, absolutely, and and that's the the difference between failing and failure is that when you when you have a failing, you you learn from that experience, and then you know you move on. Um, failure is like this permanent mindset that you 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 have. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's beautifully said, Shannon. What advice would you give your twenty something self? Oh, that's an interesting one. Um, I think it boils down into um, something that a lot of people deal with nowadays, and it's kind of become a catchphrase, but um, this idea of imposter syndrome, um, which I think really is a lot about self-confidence. So if I had to give my 20-year-old self some advice, I would say believe in yourself. Um, you have worked hard to get where you are today, and you belong to be here. Um, and I love this quote from Eleanor Roosevelt, which is probably in my book somewhere. No one can make you feel inferior without your permission. And I think if we remember that, um, I, it will take us a long way because, you know, just believing in ourselves and, and knowing and acknowledging, you know, and being our own cheerleader of like, you know, I've worked really hard to get here where I am today and I deserve this. I think we'll, we'll take all of us a long way in building our self-confidence and defeating this idea of imposter syndrome that, you know, maybe we don't know as much as we should and we don't belong to be here. I mean, none of us will never, uh, none of us will ever know everything. So we have to acknowledge also that, you know, we don't know everything and it's okay to go out to Google. And, you know, I, I still have to occasionally when I write code, go out to Google and figure out, you know, what's wrong with my code. And <laughs> so, so. 
Sure. Shannon, your quote from Eleanor brought a tear to my eye. That really spoke to me. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's one of my favorites. Yeah, I think it's at the beginning of your book, if I'm not mistaken. Don't, don't quote. It could be. But it I, could be, yeah. Yeah, yeah but I, yeah, I didn't expect that you bring a tear to my eye today, but you, <laughs> you did. So one of your mantras, finding a job you love and you'll never have to work a day in your life. I just love that. So Shannon, what other advice do you have for our next generation? Well, I think really following that line, you know, find something that you have a passion for and strive to see, you know, can I make a career out of that? Um, is there something that would give me joy every day, you know, going to work? Because I think it's important that we, we like that we're doing. We're not just going to work for a paycheck, but we enjoy what we're doing because if we enjoy what we're doing, you know, the day goes by faster. Um, we don't dread going to work and you know, oh, I'm going to go to work. Mm -hmm. um, and it just makes, it makes life happier. Um, and being happy in life is an important thing. So, you know, we need to look to try to find, you know, what do we enjoy? Can I make this a career? And then we should pursue it. And, um, you know, I guess another piece of advice would be, you know, success doesn't come overnight. It does take a lot of hard work, um, obviously blood, sweat, and tears. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, it, it's success is not something that's going to happen overnight. It's something that you do have to work hard with, um, hard on, and continue working hard at. Um, but if you continue working hard and continuing having passion, then you do finally succeed. Mm -hmm. Life's not a dress rehearsal, so we have to live, live it to the fullest. Yep, absolutely. Well, Shannon, it's been a true pleasure to have you on today, and I've so enjoyed our conversation. In closing, anything you'd want to talk about that I didn't cover? Um, there's just one more quote that I wanted to share. So it's just a, a quote from Dr. Seuss where he said, be who you are and say what you feel because those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind. I love that. Well, that's a great way to wrap today's conversation. So thanks again for sharing your time, your talent. Loved your book. Keep up the great work you're doing for Girls in STEM. And thank you. Thank you very much. The three key takeaways from today's conversation are, in order to encourage Girls in STEM, it starts with the trifecta of parents, educators, and anyone else who wants to see a better future. Two, set boundaries for yourself. Stand up for yourself, especially in the workplace. Don't let imposter syndrome settle in. And three, when it comes to taking a risk, use the crawl method. Sign up to stay in the know on my offerings at gailkeller.org. From online course curriculum for women in STEM, corporations and universities to offerings from girls in STEM and STEAM. I offer a trusted space focused on instilling the values of courage, decisiveness, confidence, assertiveness, and balance. I can help you successfully reboot your career by teaching you how to successfully fail forward without the crash and burn. Thank you and stay courageous. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.